Welcome to another edition of Flea Market Fantasy, the world's second greatest Bronze Age era comic book podcast. Joining me as always is new Michael, Kevin Jank. I am Kevin Jank, or as I'm known in the Northeast, Whiz Kid. Not because I'm so smart, <laughs> just had a little bit of a bedwetting problem. That's right, Whiz Kid. One of the uh, characters we'll be discussing today. And tell the kids what book we're doing, Jank. Uh, we're doing a book called The Exterminators. Uh, from 1988, this is a Marvel comic that was tied in with the X-Men books. Uh, it's a four-issue limited series set during the Inferno crossover. Yeah, I think this this issue itself was 89, I believe. It started in 88, but what, you know. The that is over. true. The Inferno crossover was the, a big deal in the X-Books. It was actually the first legit X-Book crossover because technically the Mutant Massacre, the stories didn't overlap really. They were about the same theme, but they were independent stories told in X-Factor and X-Men. Here, all the books literally crossed over. Like, the story yeah. continued from one to the other. So, uh, but we'll get all into all that in a minute. But before we review X-Terminators, Jank, let's just remind everybody, if you're watching us on YouTube, please like and subscribe. Up to 83 subscribers, Jank. <laughs> we're going to hit that triple digits, I hope, this year. Yeah, this year, hopefully. The flea <laughs> army is expanding. Hey, leaps and bounds. So, Time to start expanding our belt. I'm sure the exterminators are really light up. We'll go viral with the exterminators. <laughs> yeah. Everyone's been waiting for this, clamoring for years. When are they going to talk about exterminators? When will someone finally talk about WizKid? <laughs> Only... A lot of Rusty and Skids fans out there. Yes, that's right. Uh, Rusty and Skids. So, yeah, we uh, mentioned the Inferno thing. That started in Uncanny X-Men 239, December of 1988, and it was the first true X-Book crossover. And yeah. basically, it was a bunch of demons invade New York City. That's the short of it. Yeah. So there you go. That's all you need to know. Not only, Yeah, it was not only just an X-Book crossover. I mean, the Mutant Massacre kind of spilled out into some other things. Like, there was a Daredevil crossover, like a Thor crossover, I think. But yes. this one really did spin out kind of line-wide. And uh, pretty much all the heroes were dealing with some kind of demonic activity. Yeah, any hero based in New York City was dealing yeah. with the Inferno. It was in Daredevil. It was in Fantastic Four. It in the was Spider-Man books. Avengers. And in the Spider-Man books, something actually somewhat significant happened. Do you yeah. remember what it was? There were actual consequences. Yeah, because uh, Jason McIndale, who was the Jack-O-Lantern, but then became the new Hobgoblin after Ned Leeds was killed, uh, he was now the Hobgoblin, and he made a deal with a demon to, to become like a demonic Hobgoblin. So he actually was kind of a goblin-looking creature now. And that goblin stuck around after the Inferno event ended, and he couldn't get rid of it for a while. <laughs> it was just kind of stuck with him. And, yeah, I think, uh, he was not happy about it. I think they call him the Demo Goblin. Yeah, that's when he broke off. Uh, once the oh. once he was finally able to expel it, and it became its own entity, it became oh. its own goblin called the Demo Goblin. How about that? Yeah, and, and then Goblin. Demo Goblin, I think Todd like teamed up with Carnage, I believe, at one point during like Maximum Carnage. That whole Hobgoblin story started out so good, and then it just <laughs> yeah, a lot of promise. <laughs> yeah, so a bunch of uh, demons invade New York City, and the New Mutants are fighting Sim, who is a we'll get into him a little bit later. He's a demon in limbo, and he they're fighting him for the soul of Ilyana Rasputin, who at the moment has become the Dark Child. Yeah, I guess uh, I think what happened was Nestor, this other demon, yeah, I was going to get to him next. Counterpart, like he tricked her 
like they're fighting sim and they're like the only, the only way to get out of limbo is if you fully accept your demon self and open up this portal. And so she did. And then, you know, little did she know she was opening the portal for everyone in limbo to cross over. She was just trying to get her friends home. Yeah. Who really don't remember Ileana Rasputin's Colossus little sister. She got abducted when she was a child by a demon in the dimension limbo called a uh, Belasco, I believe was the, the leader yeah. of limbo. Right. And she like aged up kind of like, uh, Arisia in her power ring, she aged up from a little girl to like a teenager. And then, uh, but she was the Except legit, like she actually lived in hell for yeah, like yeah, yeah. several yeah. years. So she was a teenager by then, not just yeah. a kid pretending to be. Yeah. And not to mention she grew all those years and she became yeah. like, uh, uh the, uh, mistress, sorceress, I guess. Or the, she wasn't the queen of limbo at that point or she defeated Belasco and then she became like the ruler. She, yeah. She did like dethrone Belasco and, and kind of became the ruler. And by the way, I believe we uh, did this very uh, limited series, Magic, with uh, Mike Allen cousin Brandon. We, we did an episode on that. You, so you can go back if you want to read all about Ileana Rasputin. All right. So, uh, yeah. And then Belasco's right-hand man was this demon named Sim. And then uh, Naster. Is that how you pronounce his name? Naster? Yeah, I think it's Naster. Because I seem to remember somebody pointing out. I don't remember if it was actually in the Inferno event or uh, it was in the letter pages. But somebody pointed out that the two main demons are Sim and Naster, and the all, the other big figure in the Inferno event is Mr. Sinister. So it's like Sim, Naster, and Sinister. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's like, uh-huh. oh, this is, must have been setting this up for a while. Because uh, Naster is spelled N apostrophe A-S-T-I-R-H. Yeah. So we'll just go with Naster. <laughs> yeah, I always love when comic book characters make names as hard, so hard to pronounce. <laughs> it's... Uh, yeah, whatever. Just start throwing apostrophes everywhere. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, so while Sim is uh, trying to capture Leonor Sputner, and, and basically the Dark Child is just her ultimate demonic form. Like she's a yeah. demon, basically. No humanity left, basically. Yeah. Just, yeah. Uh, while that's going on, the X Men and X Factor are battling Naster and a possessed Madeline Pryor to regain Nathan Christopher Summers. Yeah. Who is the baby of Scott Summers Cyclops and Madeline Pryor. And Madeline Pryor was a clone of Jean Grey, right? Am I remembering this properly? <laughs> yep, that is absolutely correct. Yeah, they uh, I believe Sim had kind of been working her for a long time, just kind of seducing her to the dark side, telling her, you know, hey, if you get the X-Men to kill the Marauders, you can get your, your kid back. We'll find them. Oh, for you it. mean Na- Naster was working her? Right. Yeah, it may have been both of them. Oh, really? Sim was doing it too? <laughs> yeah, it may have been a group effort. Okay, I wasn't sure. <laughs> and so now Mr. Sinister was the one behind all the cloning and everything, right? Yes, he's the one behind the Marauders. He was their boss who sent them to the Morlock Massacre and had them kidnap the baby or whatever in the first place. And also he is the one who cloned Jean Grey to make Madeline Pryor because once Jean Grey was you know, supposedly killed as being the Phoenix... Mr. Sinister's grand plan was we need, I need Cyclops and Jean Grey to have a baby because that baby is going to be immensely powerful given their two, you know, genetic compositions. So like he was like, well, if that, if Jean's dead, I need to make a new Jean and have her hook up with Cyclops. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we need a baby. So Cyclops, of course, didn't know any of this. He thought he was married uh, to a, a uh, good looking redhead who kind of looked like Jean Grey and yeah, she looks exactly like Jean yeah. Grey. Like everyone commented on it all the time. Which I mean, that's your first like, okay, this is a little strange. So <laughs> then when uh but when Jean Grey came back, then Cyclops says, Hey, you know what, Madison Pryor? It's been fun, but I'm out. I'm leaving you and my baby. <laughs> and I'm gonna go yeah. around with X Factor 
and Jean Grey again. <laughs> and it's like, wait, what? Madeline Pryor just got tossed to the side. And the X-Men are kind of like mad at Cyclops for doing that, I believe. I think now, she this, starts flirting with, uh, with Havoc, like trying to oh, mack on Cyclops' brother. Yeah. <laughs> and then Nathan Christopher Summers, the child that was born from this uh, wedlock or uh, whatever. That's who I think it is, right? Yeah. He goes on to be Cable. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he becomes Cable somehow. <laughs> yep. I don't know. <laughs> Through the joys of time travel. At the end of the X-Factor series, uh, Apocalypse infects the baby with the, like, a transmode virus. Uh, It's a little bit different than the normal transmode virus, but some kind of techno-organic virus. And uh, basically, in order to save his life, Cyclops has to make a choice. Like, this woman from the future comes back and is like, hey, let me take your baby to the future, and I can help him. He's like, uh, I guess so. (laughs) I want him to live, so I guess I'll do that. And uh, they take him to the future and kind of teach him to, you know, control the virus enough to live. And uh, he eventually comes oh. back in time. And that's that's where Cable comes from. See, this stuff gets really confusing because wouldn't he already be in the future if she'd come back? And... I guess there's multiple timelines, right? Yeah, exactly. It's yeah. like way in the future where Apocalypse is ruling the world and stuff like that. And most of humanity has been destroyed and stuff like that. Oh, OK. All right. But that's yeah, why... What the ruler of the, the Scanny order that brings them to the future and is kind of raising him is actually an aged up Rachel Summers. Oh, so his own like uh, sister from an alternate reality is kind of the one in charge of this whole thing. I always liked Rachel Summers and Rachel Summers herself. Didn't she come from the future? Yeah, different future. Yeah. <laughs> Good God. Very right. convoluted. <laughs> but anyway. All right, so I hope you understand all that. All right, so that's what's going on here in Inferno. And also Madeline Pryor, she becomes like the Goblin Queen. Remember that? Yeah, sure that does. Sexy yeah. outfit, you know? A lot of underboob on that outfit. Yeah. It's pretty great. It was, <laughs> especially for what you're the 89, you know? You're yeah. Four, I was 14 at the time. That was <laughs> great. I seem to recall Mark Silvestri was the artist for that. Inferno. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Doing good work. So the main story was told in Uncanny X-Men 239 to 243. X-Factor 36 through 39, New Mutants 71 to 73, Excalibur 6 through 7, and the X-Terminators 1 through 4. And that's where we are today with the X-Terminators. All right, would you like to tell the kids about the uh, origin of the name X-Terminators and, like, the original X-Factor and all that? Yeah, from what I recall, uh, X-Factor, when they first got together, the original five X-Men kind of decided to be a team again because Gene was back, and they didn't trust Magneto running the X-Men, because Professor X was off in space. They're like, we're going to start our own thing, call it X-Factor. And their grand plan was like, we're going to pretend that X-Factor is this mutant-hating human organization that rounds up evil mutants and, you know, sends them off to re-education camps or whatever. Yeah. What could uh, go wrong with that plan? That sounds like such a good plan. Stirring up anti-mutant semitism. Like, that's, that's good. Yeah, and this is a public organization. It's not like some private thing working in the shadows. They were like on yeah. TV and news. It was a hotline. Like, yeah. yeah. It was like Ghostbusters, pretty much. Yes. Like, yes, pretty much. For me, call us. <laughs> yeah, that's a good comparison. Eh? <laughs> and they had these little outfits, like blue and white, I think. And uh, remember Angel had this giant backpack so he could hide his wings? Yeah. <laughs> What's yeah, that that's big, giant cool. backpack? Cookies. They conveniently had Beast uh, like become human again, just so they could pull this off. Yeah, we'll get into that later too, because there's there's a tie into one of the characters here with that. Yeah. 
So yeah, that's uh, X Factor. So they called themselves the X Terminator. Yeah, but of course, and secretly they were also yeah. when they had to like get into act into action and battle mutants, like as as mutants themselves, they became the X Terminators. They were like a band of you know rogue mutants who looked conveniently like the original X Men. And I guess they just figured nobody would notice that. <laughs> and secretly, though, they were taking them to, like, re- not prison re-education camps, but they were, like, bringing them to train them and help them use their powers and stuff. So it was, deep down, it was beneficial to these young mutants, at least in, like, X-Factor's mind. But Yeah, they were definitely well, saving mutants and then, you know, training them on the side, which was good. But, yeah, the, the public image, obviously, was not great. Yeah, it just and terrorized everybody. every mutant in the world, thinking X Factor is going to murder them. Yeah, that's not the look you want. No. <laughs> and pretty much all the mutants they found were like fighting them at first because they're like, yes. "Hey, these guys are out to kill me!" Like, like no, 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 we're here to help you. Sure, you're here to help me. And the, yeah. the guy behind all this was a fellow named Cameron Hodge, right? Like he was yeah. the government point he man. He was supposedly Angel's, you know, like best buddy from college or whatever. Like, oh, these guys are good friends, but no, it turns out he actually hated mutants the whole time and was. <laughs> Launched the plan, you know, basically to fuck them over and uh, <laughs> screw over his old buddy Warren Worthington. Yeah, because he Angel was real rich, so this guy was all rich and connected and everything, running corporations and whatnot, and he was supposed to help him out. Yeah. All right, so uh, that's what happened there with the Exterminator name, and the first like group of mutants they were capturing basically become the Exterminators in this book. Yes. Yeah, Rusty Collins. Boom Boom, Skids, Richter, Artie Maddox, and Leech, and then Wizkid. Yeah. And uh, Wizkid was a fella named uh, Takeshi Taki Matsua. We'll get into all the little backgrounds here in a second. But the team ended with this limited series. Yeah, that's right. They uh, pretty much folded into the New Mutants as of they meet the New Mutants in this very issue here, and then it begins a whole cascade of changes for the New Mutants that leads to them becoming X-Force not soon after. All right, so let's get back to uh, the original Exterminators. The first recruit there was Russell Rusty Collins. Now, they say his nickname was Firefist. I don't remember anyone ever calling him Firefist. Was that a thing? I don't remember that. Uh, I don't remember that either. They, I know they referenced it in the Deadpool 2 movie. He was in the Deadpool 2 movie? Yeah, that, like, fat New Zealand kid was supposed to be Rusty Collins. <laughs> what? He's nothing at all like his like comic book counterpart uh, in temperament or personality or look. Yeah, I, I never saw the second Deadpool, so I don't know. But yeah, uh, Rusty's first appearance was X Factor 1, 1986, created by Bob Layton and Jackson Guise. He was from Tulsa, Oklahoma. He was a white kid with bright hair. That's why yeah. he was a, a skinny kid. And he joined the Navy at the age of 16. He was raised by his uncle. His parents weren't around. So he joined the Navy at 16. And his mutant ability to generate fire accidentally injured a lady. Uh, yeah. Caused him to be arrested. Sure. Yeah, it didn't go well. <laughs> so, but then, that was uh, a big problem because basically I think uh, Freedom Force was after him for a long time for that. Yeah, and Freedom Force was, of course, like the government-sanctioned Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. Yeah. 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 Their grand plan was, we need a government team of mutants. Let's get the bad guys. Well, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, it's pretty it's weird. Was, well. At this time, you had X-Factor good guys masquerading as bad guys, and then you had... The Brotherhood bad guys mm-hmm. kind of masquerading as good guys. It's very strange. So he was in prison. There's an abusive prison guard, and then he like used his uh, his powers triggered again, and he escaped prison. So then the Exterminators had to track him down, and he became their first recruit. Another one of the uh, original ones there. I don't know the order of their uh, recruitment. I think 
skids and or no already was probably next i think already yeah well, we're gonna do skids so because that's how i re- wrote it down <laughs> so we're gonna go skids. fine real name sally blevins do you think that's a nod to brett blevins there you go sure. yeah. that. her first appearance was x factor 7 1986 uh she was created by louise simonson and jackson guise and she was a, one, a runaway who lived with the Morlocks under New York City. Power was personal force field generation. Mm-hmm. So it's like she's surrounded by a uh, force field at all times. And it made her like uh, slippery to grab. She could skid right out of things, you know. That's right. That's right. Yeah. But her powers prevented her from being disfigured like the other Morlocks. Because the Morlocks, they wanted to live down down there like, uh, you know, Morlocks. Underground. The there's, a, there's a fellow named uh, Mask. Yeah. Who could like a, he would touch their faces and warp their faces to like disfigure them so they would be a close knit group of freaks, but they couldn't touch skids because of her powers. So she looks like a good looking uh, blonde girl there. So everyone resented her. Thinking, yeah, I don't know why they put up with Mask to be honest. Yeah. Like, why would you know? <laughs> why would you just kick this guy out right away? Like, <laughs> why is he trying to make us all hideous freaks? Can't we terrible. just live underground and look normal? That'd be fine. Yeah, be a lot better, I think. Now, this Skids lady, though, she uh, apparently turned bad later. You aware of this? I mean, I think, yes. Both her and Rusty turned bad for a little while. Basically, I believe they got arrested soon after this, uh, and then the rest of the New Mutants go to Asgard. And then by the time they get back, like, they have been broken out of jail by Strife, who is the evil clone of Cable. Also oh, I forgot future. all about that guy. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> and uh, he, like, brainwashes them with his psychic powers oh, to okay. make them part of his mutant liberation front. Yes. Uh, yes. And they, they work with him for a while as, you know, mind controlled slaves until Magneto comes along and frees them. And then they're like, well, I guess we kind of owe Magneto. So we're going to go with him and go live up on Avalon up in space. The <laughs> Acolytes, right? That was the yeah. group, the Acolytes. Yeah. yeah. And then Asteroid M got destroyed or Avalon got destroyed. And uh, Rusty Collins was killed in that. Uh, whole oh, bit. I did so, not know that. Skids all by herself after that. I think after that, she kind of just went to college for a little while. And then she joined S.H.I.E.L.D. She became a S.H.I.E.L.D. agent. Oh, yeah. Yeah, moving on up in the world. From Morlock to S.H.I.E.L.D. agent. Next, we have uh, Boom Boom. She's another uh, blonde uh, teen. She's kind of like a Madonna a material girl ripoff. Boom Boom. Yeah. They always draw her like that. And her real name is Tabitha Smith. First appearance was Secret Wars 2, issue 5, 1985, created by Jim Shooter and Al Milgram. And she was a runaway who befriended the Beyonder. Yeah. yeah. She was called yeah. Time Bomb back then. She had a She had a lot of names. None of them yeah. particularly good. It was Boomer and Meltdown. Oh, yeah, Boomer. That's right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, her her power is she can make little uh, time bombs, little energy, little, like, pellets. All. Yeah. 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 Explosives. After the thing with Beyonder there where uh, he kind of got heartbroken because he thought she was his friend and she betrayed him to the other superheroes and whatnot and well, I think at one point the Beyonder took her to Professor X to say, hey, can you take this young mutant girl in? And Professor X, the jerk that he was, he kind of ignored her and just said, we got to stop the Beyonder. He could destroy the world or whatever. So they just focused on the Beyonder and he kind of rejected Boom Boom, you know, and she got all sad and was going to kill herself. Jesus. <laughs> I know. Professor X, yeah, he's not a good guy, turns out. He's a real <laughs> jerk. But anyway, she ends up falling in with the Fallen Angels. Remember, that's yeah. what she did with her buddy Bob. About, and yep. uh, that was about four months ago or so on here. You go back, <laughs> read about Boom Boom there. Yeah, next up we have Richter, uh, yeah. real name Julio Esteban Richter. Now his code name Richter is R-I-C-T-O-R. His last yeah. name Richter is R-I-C-H-T-E-R, like Mike Richter, the old Rangers goaltender. 
So. <laughs> That's exactly what I was thinking. <laughs> <That's a little laughs> His first appearance was X Factor 17, 1987, created by Louise Simonson and Walt Simonson. The X Factor rescued Richter from an anti-mutant organization called the Right, and they had him yeah. hooked up to a machine that applied his uh, mutant ability to generate and manipulate earthquakes to terrorize New or San Francisco. Yeah, San Francisco. The so, Right was actually the mutant-hating group run by Cameron Hodge. So yeah, you can just like make earthquakes and whatnot. So that's <laughs> seismic powers. Yeah, there's a lot of overlap between the Freedom Force and uh, the X Terminator. Rusty's like Pyro. Yeah, and, uh, this guy's like Avalanche. Just like Avalanche, yep. All right, next we have Artie Maddox, and his first appearance was X Factor 2, 1986, created by Bob Layton and uh, Jackson Guise. And he was like the uh, deformed mutant son of a scientist who kidnapped Hank McCoy in an effort to get him to cure Artie. And in the process, Dr. Maddox reverted Beast back to his human form without all the fur. But he was but getting also- progressively stupider as he used his powers. Yes, he got he was stronger. Yeah. yeah, he was more uh, powerful than before. But he would get dumber each time. Yes. That's a nice little <laughs> twist. Yeah, can't have everything. But how do you prefer? I prefer a furry beast, though, right? Yeah, absolutely. I prefer the furry beast and definitely the the kind of 90s-ish or late 80s version. Not when they tried to make him like a cat guy or a yeah guy. Like They kept trying to mutate him further and it was like, oh, <laughs> I don't like that. But I guess what, when you think about it, he was never the furry beast until he was out of the X. Again, Mike L and I, we did the first time he turned furry and he mm-hmm. was gray back then. Yeah. Gray furry. yeah. I can't remember what book that was, like Marvel. Marvel, uh, yeah, it was one of those. One of them deals, yeah. <laughs> I can't remember. <laughs> but anyway, uh, Artie's dad uh, got shot and killed because, like, they, they were doing illegal research in this lab or something, and, like, the security came, and his dad got killed. And so Beast took Artie, and X-Factor took Artie in with them, and he started living with them. But Artie's, like, this little uh, pink guy with a big head. Yeah, kind of deformed. He's got these giant, like, bubble eyes, and he cannot speak. He's completely mute, but he can... Like, communicate via weird, like, mental projections. Like, he can project images into your mind that'll tell you what he's thinking. Yeah, he can also project his thoughts into holograms, three-dimensional holograms. So I guess they classify his powers as visual telepathy and psionic pictograms. But yeah, he's a little little pink guy with little bumps on his head, too, and stuff. And uh, Mm -hmm. good old Artie. He's a good little kid. And uh, they they play prominent roles in uh, the Mutant Massacre, right? Him and uh, Leech, they were... That's right. and that brings us to Leech, Uncanny X-Men 179, 1984, created by Chris Claremont and John Romita Jr. He looks like a little green alien guy. Again, he has a yeah. big... Yeah, uh, it looks like Artie, but green. They're, they're very similar looks. Doesn't have the bumps on his head. Depends who draws him. Sometimes he has an elongated, like, real alien head, and sometimes he doesn't. But yeah. <laughs> uh, but he has the ability to, like, basically neutralize anyone's mutant ability. If they come near him, he, like, leeches out their powers. Caliban found him. He was abandoned by, uh, you know, his family or whatever. Caliban found him and he brought him in to live with the Morlocks. Good old Leech. But Leech and Artie are like a tag team. They're always together. They're little kids. Yeah, yeah they don't have very offensive powers, so they, they're just kind of little kids that kind of get dragged along and can't really do a whole lot. Yeah, all these other exterminators, they're all like teenagers, you know. Um, yeah, yeah. These 16, 16 to 18 or 19 or something. And that brings us to WizKid. Takashi Matsua. His first appearance was Exterminators 1, 1988, created by Louise Simonson and John Boganov. Those were the creators for the entire series here, uh, Simonson and Boganov. Taki lost his parents and the use of his legs in an accident. I didn't confirm what kind of an accident. I'm guessing a car crash. Yeah, I would think. (laughs) Usually the go-to. 
And he was a computer genius and a novice inventor, but uh, he can techno-form materials to any specifications, even if it violates the laws of nature and science. He's kind of like the ultimate MacGyver. You know, you throw him, like, some equipment, he can invent anything yeah. you want. It's basically, he's kind of like Forge, but a kid, I guess. Oh, yeah, I forgot about Forge. <laughs> yeah. Because that's Forge's whole gimmick, right? He can make any machine or weapon. Or, yeah, yeah, basically. He met Artie and Leach at the St. Simons Academy because that's where he was uh, going to school and he was working there. It's a private elementary school. premise of this miniseries was that the X Factor had kind of pawned these kids off at two different... Uh, well, like pawned <laughs> might be a harsh term. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, they were <laughs> they were thinking about their education, I believe, right? I guess so. Yeah, they're like, Beast is getting dumb. We can't have him teaching these kids anything. <laughs> we need a proper teacher. So, yeah, they were all in the same private school together. But Nasker, his big plan for this inferno, he, he wants to keep that portal open between Limbo and Earth. There's only one way to do that, by making a giant inverted pentagram in the sky with mutant babies. <laughs> That's the only way you can do it. <laughs> and so, then you need a constant stream of spells trying to keep that thing open yeah. and that can only be done by a, a massive spell casting computer <laughs> yeah but initially they were just kidnapping Artie and Leech because they wanted to use them I guess to heal the pentagram and then Taki saw them being kidnapped and he tried to rescue them and that's how Taki got involved yeah. in this and then Naster says, hey, you're smart. I want you to invent that computer to run all my spells for me. But what? Yeah, <laughs> very strange. <laughs> They're really reaching to bring these this exterminators team into this. Uh, I'm a master of arcane dark magic. I can open portals from other dimensions. But you know what? I, I can really use a computer. Just like <laughs> the Microsoft Office. Do you have that installed there? Can we get a spreadsheet for this? Yeah. So I can remember all my spells. I, don't, I may have been looking at too much porn and gotten a couple of viruses. Can you help me out here? I don't understand what the whole point of a computer to help with the, Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. All right, so uh, now the demons, we've talked about them before, but Naster, his first appearance was X-Factor 32, 1988, created by Tom DeFalco and Louise Simonson, and he was a winged demon who wanted to rule Limbo and Earth, and he stole a bunch of mutant babies to power the portal between the two worlds. And he helped Madeline Pryor get her baby back from Mr. Sinister. Now, Sim, S apostrophe YM, first appearance, X-Men 160, 1982, created by Chris Claremont and Brent Anderson. And he was one of the strongest demons in Limbo. And he served Belasco, the former ruler of Limbo, before Liliana Rasputin took over. And he looks like a, oh, yeah, I should mention uh, Naster looks like a, kind of like a green winged horse demon. Yeah, of. he's got a very Beta Ray Bill-esque face. Yeah, sure. And Sim is purple, and he looks like a warthog or right or something like that. But he's big and muscular, and he wears a black vest, and he's always smoking a cigar. So, yeah, always smoking that cigar. That's yep, a pretty good vest. Good game. And we just confirmed before the show that Sim was named in honor of Dave Sim, the creator of Cerebus, the Aardvark, that independent mm -hmm. comic, because apparently Dave Sim had it created a character in his series kind of making fun of Chris Claremont. And <laughs> so then Claremont returned the favor and created Sim. Yeah. I think yeah. it was all good natured, you know, it wasn't. Yeah. I think so. I don't think they were arch enemies or anything. Yeah. Waiting outside of each other's cars with a baton. Have you ever read any uh, Cerebus? Uh, no, I never have. Neither have I. Something we'll have to do at some point. It was probably, for those who've never heard of it, it was probably like the biggest independent comic 
in the 80s, right? The early 80s. Yeah. Um, so, right. yeah, it was a black and white deal, you know, um, things. I think those are all the notes I have on the exterminators and Inferno. Is there anything else we should say before we get into this? I think so. I think we're ready to finally start looking at this comic. All right. Tell us about the cover, Jank. Oh, boy. There's a lot going on here on the cover. Yeah. Uh, so we got it's a purple cover. You got the little Inferno continues uh, thing in the corner, kind of like Secret Wars 2. They just have the top right corner. It's like a different color, and it's got the logo for the event. So you kind of know that this book ties in with the the crossover there. The X-Terminators logo, which is basically a giant X in the middle, and then it says Terminators written over the top of it. Interesting look. <laughs> Not my favorite, yeah. but, you know, it's something. Yeah. Sorry. Then we got the the corner box over there with a little just picture of Artie waving. Yeah, he's just waving at us. <laughs> hey, Artie. What's up, little buddy? <laughs> he's having a good time, despite all the, the mayhem that's going on in this comic. And then we got a bunch of these little uh, red airplanes that we see WizKid make throughout this issue. Exterminators are flying around in them with the New Mutants also helping. They're taking on a bunch of demons. So you got Rusty and Skids in one, and then Danny Moonstar is in the back. She's got her spear out. She's about to, like, spear this demon. Uh, it's flying through the air. Uh, you got Richter in one. He's just kind of holding out his fist, like, vibrating it into some demon's <laughs> chest, which is pretty cool. <laughs> uh, Cannonball's flying through the air on his own. Just, um, then you got Warlock's flying around. He's made himself into, like, some kind of a hang glider, it looks like. And uh, he's got Wolf, Spain, and uh, Gossamer and Sunspot riding on top of him while Sunspot's trying to, like, grab one of these jets and hold on to it for some reason i guess to pull them along and uh we got boom boom down there and one of her uh in her jet and she's kind of just throwing a time bomb at some demons so yeah big battle going on lots of action and this is john bogdanov and al milgram on the inks now you mentioned gossamer is with warlock wolf spain and sunspot yes (laughs) i forgot to research who she was and i totally do not remember her at all so can you explain who Gossamer is? <laughs> yeah, Gossamer was one of those people that I feel like the New Mutants did this a couple times, but like with that bird brain guy, where it's just like they're not oh. really a member of the team. They're just kind of along for a couple issues because, like, I don't know. Yeah. Like she was some kind of an alien. They went to some planet where there was some demonic guy called Spider or something, and Gossamer was there, and she kind of allied with them and then kind of came along with them for just basically this adventure. And I think pretty much after this, she was gone, so – uh, I think she kind of had a brief thing. Like, you could tell she kind of liked Sunspot, but nothing really ever came of it. And then she just kind of went back to her planet. So she was never, like, really a part of the team or anything, as far as I could tell. I had to, I had to take a knee when you mentioned Birdbrain. Heck, I was the worst. <laughs> he was. <laughs> he was pretty brutal. <laughs> and I was buying New Mutants throughout all that. I don't know why, because it just annoyed me every time. But I just that was a weird time for the New Mutants. Like, it started out so good, and then, like, it's like, let's have him go to weird worlds all the time and, I don't know, go to Asgard a bunch. I believe, uh, from what I read, I, I believe they told Louise Simonson to kind of young it up, you know, like make it younger, the book. And she says she may have gone overboard by some of this stuff. <laughs> I would say so. so. Yeah. Um, that was yeah, on display here, too, as well, I would say. <laughs> yeah. I think so. Yeah, this is very power packish. Yeah. 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 So, uh, but I like the cover. Uh, it's good art, uh, especially like uh, Rusty and Skids, and they look good. Um, so, I like that demon, the green demon up there. I'm always a mark for Danny Moonstone. I like her. Is that this is kind of the era where the New Mutants kind of were making their own costumes, and they all 
kind of had these short-lived costumes that you don't really see them in very often. <laughs> and I, I believe I just called her Danny Moonstone. Morning, what's her? Is it what's her last name? Uh, Danny Moonstar. Moonstar. Yeah. <laughs> Moonstone was a villain. A yeah, villain. that's right. Yeah, yeah but it's Thunderbolts. So, uh, all right, that's the cover. And now we open it up. We get a big splash page of Nastier, and he's standing on top of uh, somewhere, and he's in all his glory there. And this uh, issue is called Finale. <clears throat> Again, written by Simonson, Bogdanov, Milgram on the inks, Joe Rosen on the letters, Petra Scotese, the colorist, Bob Harris, editor, Tom DeFalco, editor-in-chief. So, yeah, when Tom DeFalco helped uh, Louise come up with – who did he help her create? Na- Nastier, right? Um, yeah. So that that's why this was – you know, the editor-in-chief got involved there because they had to really plan this out, this big crossover event. That is a lot of organization, uh, getting all these yes. books together and – well, I guess it helps that I think Louise Simonson was writing most of them besides Uncanny at the time. I mean, I guess I don't know who was doing Excalibur. It's probably Claremont. Yeah, I guess that's right. I think Excalibur is much less tied in as well. Like they can kind of do their own thing. <laughs> yeah, there were just two issues, and I can't even remember what the story was or how they got involved. Rachel yeah, Summers uh, came across. She heard uh, that the little Summers boy was kidnapped, and she came flying in to try and help, I think. Like X Factor found out that the X Men were still alive during this event, but Excalibur. Oh, definitely... that's right! I forgot about all that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So they were not really, I guess, involved. Yeah, the X Men supposedly died publicly during Fall of the Mutants, yeah. and that's when they were down in Australia, you know, hiding yeah. out down there. That pretty much caused this whole thing. I think is basically because if they had just you know let Madeline Pryor you know be alive and come out to the world and try to find her baby, they wouldn't have had this problem, I guess. Oh, so Madeline Pryor was thought dead as well. Yeah, she was one of the ones who... Uh, she went through the Sage Perilous thing? Yeah. Yeah, I don't remember that. Man, so she was with them down in Australia then? Yep, that's where she was uh, trying to get with uh, Havoc. It was down, down under. <laughs> in more ways than one. All right, so uh, Nasters on the building. We see the Exterminator team. They're, like, caught in, like, a little energy bubble or something. They're, like, held prisoners. And uh, WizKid is in the background there. He's in his wheelchair. He he made himself this souped up. Yeah, we should describe what Wiz Kid looks like because he uh, he made himself this souped up wheelchair, like it's a red like a red sports car kind of. And then he he's kind of dressed like a race car driver, with a little red outfit and a helmet yeah, visor. That's it. right. It's like he yeah, had one of those race car beds and then just turned it into a wheelchair. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. And he's manning the keys of his giant computer that, that keeps the the spells pumping. Because he's being forced into this, obviously. Like, you know. yeah. <laughs> yeah, his friends are kidnapped. All right, so on the next page, we get another uh, nice big page here of a two-page spread of a giant portal in the sky over New York, and all these demons spilling towards the camera, and they're like chewing at the uh, edges of the panel and everything. Cool, I like that. Yeah, yeah, Bogdanov. He has a uh, or Bogdanov, right? He has an interesting <laughs> style. It's kind of cartoony, but still like accurate enough to real life that it i don't know it's a distinctive style and i enjoy yeah. it i, think I gotta it. say i liked it a lot more in x-men versus fantastic four like there i thought it was really good and really solid uh maybe it's al milgram's inking that was throwing me off here but this I, one felt a lot sloppier to me i actually liked a lot of the inking here like on this next page then we see the new mutants showing up and like they're parachuting in hanging off warlock also magic teleported him in i guess and brimstone and everything going around her but I love the inks like on uh, Rain Sinclair there, the heavy inks on the lines around her. I, I like that look and uh, yeah. Sunspot. And so I don't and know. I, Cannonball's giant ears. So that's yeah. 
<laughs> but I like the art in this book a lot, actually. Yeah, dig that pose on uh, Dark Child there. Yeah, Dark Child looks pretty good. I'll give it that. Yeah, she's very demony, with very with, like, rushed and not very detailed. We see Nashor talking about. Uh, oh, he wants to give Artie and Leech to his one demon buddy here because he wants to eat the kids. He's like, all right, you, you can eat these two, but uh, first. He he wants them to go do something first, though, right? He's like, you gotta go do something before you can eat these kids. Well, I think he's gonna. They call he's. Gonna, oh, he has uh, to go defeat the new mutants, mutants, I guess. Yeah. 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 So he's gonna leave them to to this Crotus guy. But that's when Wizkid gets on his you know his wheelchair, makes a giant arm out of it, and just rushes at him and punches Crotus right in the face. Yeah. His wheelchair. And he's like, I, I'm gonna destroy my computer, you know. Yep. And I was confused. I was very confused at the beginning here because this Crotus demon is calling Master Mother. Yeah. Like, like yeah. Mother, I guess. But they spell it M-A-W-T-H-T-E-R. But he has a speech impediment. Monster? Yeah, that wasn't helping me. All these names. Yeah. And shit. I'm like, what is going on? I don't know. What it is. I thought that was Master. Now he's calling him Mother. I don't know. It's very weird. <laughs> uh, so Naster grabs uh, uh, Tacky by the head there and he holds him up and and uh, old, that's Wizkid, of course. Let's just go with Wizkid. That's a better name. Yeah, makes and, uh, sense. And then he throws him on the ground there, and he's like, uh, "You watch, you watch Wizkid. You know, make sure he doesn't cause any trouble. I got to go. He wants to go with Aliliana Rasputin because uh, Naster basically wants to make Dark Child his wife. Yeah, and they will, he's a demon. He's in way into her. Yeah, no rule limbo <laughs> together. He's going off to you know try and uh, smooth talk uh, Dark Child, and he leaves this Crotus fella. In charge of uh, the imprisoned exterminators, Artie Leach and Wizkid. That's yeah. a bad decision. That's a bad decision, right? <laughs> like you can just see something's going to happen here. I mean, come on, Master. You know? Yeah, clearly this guy's not up to the job. No, no. A couple more demons on this, not just this guy. So then we see uh, Master. Wow, he just goes right up to uh, Dark Child there, and he's just like drooling right in front of her. He's <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> trying to like caress her chin. I like how her swords into the ground. She's just all red and scaly like a demon. She's got these big horns, and her, her legs are like hooves. And, uh, I like the nightcrawler tail going on, but red. Wizkid's trying to distract Crotus, but he's leaving clues. He's like, hey, uh, I could unplug this whole computer, you know? And Artie and Leech climb under the desk. I'm like, hey, let's just unplug the computer. <laughs> and so that's what they do. They <laughs> unplug the computer. <laughs> yep. Seems like and here's where the, the whole thing, the whole issue kind of falls apart <laughs> for me. Well, yeah, basically it works. Like the thing's going down, the portal's closing. They're like, all right, we did it. Yeah. Problem solved. <laughs> and uh, so Crotus is like, oh, no, this is bad. Like I, Master's going to be mad. I better get down there and replug this thing back in. But apparently if demons, you know, touch machinery, it it hurts them. So it electrocutes the crap out of him and uh, sends him flying. You but know, is, 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 that, is that a proven thing in the occult that demons can't touch computers? No. Is that right? <laughs> I mean, I guess demons are usually weak to metal, right? Like iron. Oh, really? So maybe that's what they're going with. <laughs> I have no idea. Uh, but he just touches the cord, you know. But yeah, uh, right. should be safe. But yeah, yeah that's, would... that's why Naster needed Wizkid to run the computer because you know he can't touch it. That's right. All right. So yeah, go ahead. Skids tries to stop. Yeah, him from he does manage to to plug it back in. So the thing fires up again. But again, now Crotus is gone. <laughs> They can easily just unplug it again. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Crotus done, or just destroy the machine. But for some reason, they decide to not do that and decide to stand right next to the machine and fight demons <laughs> without destroying the machine. 
Yeah, that is a big plot You need to have some kind of, like, teleportation, like, take them away from the thing so that they couldn't do any of those things. Like, oh, maybe, like, Dark Child's portals are going out of control, and one of them got a hold of this team and sent them across town, so they have to work their way back there. But no, they're right there, and they could easily destroy it. Like, Rusty could just burn it down, or Richter could shake it down, or Boom Boom could blow it up. Like, any of these things are very easily done. Once again, Artie could just kick the plug out again, you know? So, yeah. yeah. Or he could, Artie could just pull the kid, like the move the kid did in Troll 2 and just pee on it. (laughs) (laughs) Nice Troll 2 reference. But you don't piss on hospitality. I won't allow it. (laughs) So, yeah, they, uh, the portal opens up again and now, uh, Sim is jumping in to fight Nasker. He comes out of nowhere. And now at this point in his career here, Sim, is no longer just a demon. He's a techno-organic demon. Yeah. How did that happen? I don't know. I'm guessing it had to do with either Magus Has or to, right? Warlock. Yeah. Yeah, Warlock yeah. is a techno-organic alien being who's with <clears throat> the New Mutants. He's like uh, all black and yellow kind of lines on him and circuitry. And he can shapeshift and everything. And his dad was Magus. And his dad could infect people with techno-organic. So I'm guessing that's probably what happened to Sim. But anyway, so Sim is fighting uh, Nastier. That's a nice uh, panel there. And uh, the demons are coming back at the exterminators. And yeah, they're still standing next to the computer, right? Uh, but they just start fighting the demons. And... Yeah, and again, like, how do you not throw one of these demons into the computer or anything? <laughs> so to get away from the demons, WizKid, he just conjures up a giant red plane with, like, different pods on it for yeah. each of them. Each one can control its own pod, basically, once they break apart. Yeah, initially they're all connected. There's uh, six pods, but then uh, more demons are fighting them and whatnot, and they split up later. But now we see Crotus. Crotus is all, like, charred up, but he's still with us. So look at you, Crotus. Good on you. And now he's blue. (laughs) Yeah. It's charred up, he turns blue. And now he's mad at his demon buddies. Like, he, you know, before Naster can yell at him, he's yelling at his underlings. And he's like, hey, you better go get those kids, you know? Get those dang kids. So all the demons fly after them, and we basically get the scene depicted on the cover of all the demons crashing into the little planes. The little planes busting off uh, on their own, flying around. And one of the demons grabs a whiz kid, yanks him right out of the cockpit, because you need someone to run that dang computer. And you need a smart person, even though it's already plugged in and running itself. And now Naster and Sim aren't fighting now. They're just chilling. They're talking. And uh, Yeah, they got tired. Yeah. <laughs> they need a round break. <laughs> <laughs> Take out Wiz Kid. Now, yeah, it's just a. I, I can never say his name when I just jumped to him. Bogdanov. He um, always want to say uh, Bogdanovich, the film director. Yeah. Oh sure. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but he's doing some interesting things here with the panel layouts. He like you'll have one uh, big horizontal panel, then you'll have another one, and then on the third row you have two panels. But in the middle there, there's a circular panel of skids piloting the ship. Mm-hmm. And the same layout is used a few times throughout the book, but the circular panel was moved around the page. So, pretty interesting. Yeah, the panel layout I thought was better than the art itself, for sure. <laughs> I, I like <laughs> the art. On, the, on the, the edge of the panel, that's cool. But the art I thought was pretty pretty sloppy. So Skids is flying up. She's like, hey, we got to rescue them babies. You know, them babies are the key to all this. If we can take the babies down, the pentagram close, shuts off the portal so she flies up the ground to grab a baby she's got a force field around her yeah so, she's too slippery <laughs> the baby just skids right out of her hands 
And now well, it's baby. She's, gonna, she's like, I'm going to grab him real tight, but then a demon, like, attacks her while she's trying to do it. So she has to, like, drop the field, and then she tries to grab for the baby. But the baby gets knocked, like, pushed away, and Artie and Leech end up grabbing the baby. Yeah, I guess she needs her force field to protect her from taking the baby out of the energy or whatever. But, yeah. Uh, but yeah, when she drops, the demon attacks her, she drops the baby, then the demon, like, whacks her over the back of the head. And but thankfully, Leech catches the baby. Leech and Artie are flying the plane together, and Leech catches the baby. But that demon's choking the skids, and then Rusty comes to save her. He zaps the one demon with fire, but then he gets sliced across the back of the neck. Yeah, <laughs> that's not good. And he's just bleeding out. Stacking uh, <laughs> the bleeds. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then thankfully, Cannonball comes in to save the day. Good old Cannonball. Yeah. Well, what's that kid's name again? His real name? Is it Sam, Sam? Guthrie. Sam Guthrie, that's, that's a good name, yeah. And uh, he flies through, knocks people over, and here comes a warlock with the rest of the new mutants. Danny Moonstar, Wolfsbane, Gossamer, War, uh, Sunspot. Because mm-hmm. Skids is knocked loopy, and Rusty's bleeding out, you know. So their ship's going crazy. Danny jumps in to, to save them, and Sunspot grabs a, a plane there, and he's towing, getting a ride on it. Yeah. He jumps in with Gossamer. There's a lot going on. Yeah, they're all kind of like, we thought it was our fault, but then they're like, oh, it's also our fault. Like, they're kind of filling each other in, I guess, on what's going on. And then there's a moment where, like, Boom Boom's flying by. She's like, hey, Bobby, you remember me? We were on Fallen Angels together. <laughs> like, yeah, I don't want to talk about that shit. <laughs> Lobsters. That's right. There is quite the Fallen Angels, Angels reunion here, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, Jack, tell us about uh, this. Danny jumps in, you know, to save Skids and Rusty, and she uses her power Yes, I believe after Evolutionary War, her powers were changed slightly. Okay, I was going to say, I don't remember her being able to do this. <laughs> yeah, because originally she would just be able to make you see, like, make you see a mirage, as her code name, of your greatest fear. And then yeah. it would scare you, and you'd be, like, all freaked out and stuff like that. But I believe the High Evolutionary experimented on her and made her now able to actually create your greatest fear or desire and make it reality. So since Skids really, really wants a bandage for Rusty's neck there, uh, she's able to pull that, you know, out of her greatest wish and make it reality. Yeah, it's a red, like, uh, basically a superhero uniform that someone would wear. Like, it's yeah. like a red skull uh, <laughs> situation. Like, I don't know, it's not really a bandage. Yeah, not like Probably. the red skull, but yeah, <laughs> like a skull cap. Type yeah, thing. it's not, yeah, it's because the, the top's open, so his hair is exposed, so it's not technically a cap. But uh, kind of like who wears a, something similar to this? Like uh, it looks a lot like Angel, some of those Angel costumes. But anyway, it didn't look like a band. It's not like an ace bandage. It's like a no. red hat, basically. <laughs> he's wearing, and I think this became a, standard a medical age. swim cap, but with the hair exposed. And this became part of his look, I think, after this, right? Didn't he wear? This? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, for at least a couple was... issues, but yeah. But yeah, these panels here, you can see what you're talking about in terms of the art being rushed. Like these look unfinished. Like, yeah. And then WizKid, we come back to him and he master plops him back into the uh, computer chair. And WizKid's like, hey, I'm not going to do it. You can't make me do it. And Naster's like, oh, yeah. And he like, I don't know, he makes a bunch of rocks or goop. Grab him. Yeah, and he like turns his chair into rocks somehow. He's able to like, transmute matter, I guess. I don't know. But how would he's like, well, if you're not going to help me, then I'll just crush you. I don't. I don't care. <laughs> I can find some other guy to work the computer. And he's like, yeah, you can kill me. I'm not going to do it. And now Sim is starting to get lippy again with Naster. 
Because he says, oh, yeah, you can't force humans to do stuff like that, right? Isn't that what he's saying? He's like, you can't just do that. They're not going to listen to you. You're not, you're not that bright, Master. And he grabs a pigeon. He's like, all I got to do is touch you once, and yeah. then I can make you, you know, transmode you into circuitry, and then I can absorb you. That's all I'm trying to do here. Touch you that one time. Yes, but he was touching them earlier. They were fist fighting. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's what I didn't understand about that either. Yeah, a lot of things don't quite add up here. <laughs> <laughs> and uh but yeah, he cooks like a pigeon in his hand. He turns him into uh, techno organic matter. And then Naster uh yeah, the art is getting way looser here, huh? Yeah. But then uh Naster makes like a little volcano or or, or does uh Wizkid make oh, a little Oh, yeah, Wizkid, he can't like out outright like disobey uh Naster, but apparently he can just multiply the effect by 10 so that the Explosion that was supposed to take out Sim also took out Naster as well because it was just so much bigger than it was expected to be. Yeah, uh, Wizkid's trying to resist Naster, but he's a demon. He's possessing him. He's making him do this. Like his hands are moving. He's trying to fight the urge. But he's like, all right, I'll try and just his force of will allows him to press an extra key or something. He like, Don't yeah. <laughs> so there's a big explosion and uh, all the demons are getting messed up and Sim's all messed up. Naster's all messed up. And uh, good old Taki there, he's buried behind underneath all this rock and everything. And uh, Richter comes in to save him, and he zaps uh, all the rock with his powers to free uh, Wizkid. And Sim is still punching Naster now. <laughs> They're getting back together. <laughs> and he's still punching. Yeah. And then Boom Boom tries to throw a little time bomb to blow up the computer finally. You know, you could have done that earlier. Yeah. And, but, but she, it like bounces off and misses. Yeah, and, this was bizarre. I didn't understand what was happening here. <laughs> Like how this one little time bomb caused the entire city to go into chaos here. Yeah, like all the manhole covers popped one off. One tiny key is depressed by the force of a prematurely launched time bomb. And as the key shatters into a thousand tiny splinters, every steam cap in Times Square blows its top. The air becomes a searing incandescent cloud, unfit for human lungs, unsupportive of human life. So all the exterminators what? died. No, yeah. they didn't. No, they didn't at all. They seem to be okay with it. Yeah. But Naster, he's thinking, hey, you know what? This uh, Sim guy, he wants to turn me into a techno-organic matter. I, I cannot touch computers because I'm a demon. But if I'm a techno-organic demon, so he just lets him touch him. But he uh, he kind of fights him down like a test of strength in pro wrestling. And they lock hands and squeeze each other down. And then uh, old Naster turns into a techno-organic monster himself. And he, like, just overpowers Sim. And takes all his power from him. And now Naster is red. I will stronger than yours, dummy. <laughs> yeah, now he's red instead of green. And he's like, you know what? I can touch that computer now. Screw you, little whiz kid. And he hits the computer. And uh, all sorts of stuff starts happening. But whiz kid's like, I got to stop the computer. And he's straining, you know, pulling himself up. He can manipulate machinery oh, and whatnot. Yeah. Because the uh, it was a magic computer or something, he reverts it back to basic computery stuff, and that causes it to explode or something. I don't know. Yeah, let's see. A lie? Yeah, but circuits, too. I can still affect the circuits. I've got to. Computers explode at a demon's merest touch, and Naster has more than touched the computer. He's become a part of it. But if I use my power to change the computer back to normal, it'll explode. What will that do to me? I, I don't yeah, know. I, I don't really understand. I guess because it's he's made it a techno-organic thing. That's why he can touch it. But if it's just the normal computer that doesn't isn't bonded with him techno organically, somehow it'll explode. I don't know. That's very yeah. strange. It's very odd. You can just so do it again, I don't get it. So the computer <laughs> yeah, blows up. Fun. Naster blows up. 
there's a huge explosion. But you know who can survive this enormous <laughs> mushroom cloud explosion is like an eight-year-old. Good old man. <laughs> he's already been in one accident. He's, he's uh, used to it. So Sim uh, pulls himself off the ground there. and He's like, hey, I think that nasty guy, he's dead. Hey, you know what, demons? You're with me now. Let's go. And they start, uh, they go back into New York City to cause more trouble. And all the rest of the exterminators run down. And, uh, Leech and Artie, uh, they see a whiz kid. And whiz kid has seen better days. He does not look good. He is just beaten senseless, lying on the ground, black eyes, mouth bleeding. And, uh, the new mutants show up and they're all pulling around, uh, little whiz kid there. And they're like, hey, whiz kid, you're right. Now, before I read the book, I usually cut out the pictures before I read the book, mm-hmm. uh, to make the video. And then, uh, so when I cut out this final picture, I'm like, oh man, they killed Wizkid. How about that? What a guy. He sacrificed himself to save his yeah, family. That would have been a good ending. But no, he's fine. <laughs> he's yeah. Fine. <laughs> he just walks it off. And then they basically use him, I think, one more time and then like never again. So they could have well, just had sacrificed himself. <laughs> he, he does come back later on. Years later, he's part of that sword organization. Oh yeah. I think I did see something about that. Yeah. Again, eh. We could have done without that. <laughs> so uh, the new mutants rescued all the babies. They're all holding all the warlocks, holding a bunch of babies. Good old uh, Taki survives. And there it is. That's the end of Exterminators. Now, let me ask you this, Jake. What was the point of this whole thing? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, Exterminators, what was the point? I think the point, the only point I can see that was actually any kind of lasting impact is the combination of the exterminators and the new mutants meeting and then basically forming a new team and kind of whittling that down to become x-force eventually but <laughs> they've just that, done that like, i mean yeah right like they were kind of pages of new mutants yeah because the way things are structured it's kind of like uh think of the uh, hockey world you got the nhl that's the x-men then you got the new mutants yep. like the minor leagues and then uh, the exterminators these uh, new recruits they were like the uh junior hockey you know and so they would just naturally progress up to be new mutants anyway. So, like, why don't they just do that? Why did we need this four-issue limited series for nothing? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you could have just had them be trying to fight the demons, too, when they run into the new mutants in the pages of New Mutants. Or X-Factor. Just yeah. Because yeah. they're part of X-Factor. So, yeah, it, I just, I don't know what the point of this is. Because, like, the, the big character you introduce is WizKid, and then, again, he's not part of the team then, right? Like, he doesn't become part no. of <laughs> Yeah. No, he just goes back to school, and that's it for him, pretty much, for like a if long Like, so. if WizKid died at the end, and this somehow affected them in some way, things changed. But, yeah, nothing really changed throughout all this. It's just four issues of yeah. wasted time. I mean, yeah. I guess Rusty got a new headband out of it, so. <laughs> <laughs> it, wasn't a, it wasn't a complete waste. Yeah. <laughs> opening this computer, you know, making or have, opening this portal and having the computer keep it open and causing all this hell in New York City it was all worth it for that headband. All right. Well, we've already talked, but the writing here by Louis Simonson, I like Wheezy, you know, but um, definitely childish <laughs> stuff, right? Like it's yeah. just kind of <laughs> like kid stuff. Yeah, there's a lot of plot holes here. Like, I seem to remember reading this before once when I was probably much younger, but I, I don't think I remember it being quite as as ungood as it was. <laughs> as ungood. Yeah, like, I mean, they, they draw such attention to it. They're like, all you have to do is unplug the computer, and then they they literally point it out to you, and then they just like are like, oh, yeah, I don't know why we're not doing that. Again. And, and again, Sim was touching Naster multiple times. He was punching him in the face. Yeah, was, yeah. These are... These are <laughs> 
obvious plot holes that if you would have just thought about it for two seconds, you could have figured out a workaround, but you just didn't try. <laughs> and there's really no way uh, Wizkid should survive, right? He should sacrifice his life to yeah. save everybody else. That would have been, yeah, that would have been something. That would have taught everybody that the stakes are real. Watch what you're doing. Don't make crazy computers for demon guys. All right, the art, so John Bogdanov, I liked it more than you. But, yeah, it does get looser towards the end there. I think you can see it coming. Yeah. But there are some yeah, really again, good stuff. Not, I don't want to pin it all on him because I've seen him do better. So I, I might, this might be the well, inks, or it might just be a, a time crunch type thing. Yeah, I think but. it was a time crunch. Because I think yeah. if you look back at that X-Men uh, – if you go back and read Fantastic Four X Men, that arc got worse as it went along too. I think. Yeah, that's possible. Yeah, uh, by the end of the issue. Yeah, yeah. Uh, good visible woman blowing her clothes yeah. off. <laughs> yeah, I, I just mean in terms of that series. Like, uh, what what issue did we do? Oh like, yeah, 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 we like, did. Probably, yeah, yeah. I read ahead to issue four, and I remember issue four was not as good as the others. So, uh, but there were some good panels. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely better. So I like I like his uh, his figures have a dynamic. A few of them, like their poses are exaggerated, but in a way that's cool and like fun and dynamic. So uh, that's what I appreciate from about his style. And I appreciate yeah. <laughs> appreciate that. <laughs> so I don't know. I, it is tough. The writing here is rough. Uh, it is. It's a kid kind of book, very power packish. Like I said. Before. Yeah. I man, I don't know. I can't go higher than like four. I don't think. I, yeah, that's what I'm thinking as well. It it was not great. Um, <laughs> yeah, it, I own this though. When this came out, I bought it. I remember I owned all these exterminators. Yeah. Like if that was an X book, I bought it. You know, so yeah, I, I still have it. I've not sold that one yet. <laughs> well, so. Oh, he's gonna buy it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It, it's weird to like in the middle of this big serious crossover that involves demons and stuff to then be like writing a children's book that ties into it. Yeah, strange. that's why. I, I just don't know what the need for this was. Yeah, that's 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 weird. I remember the New Mutants part of this being better, where it's kind of the end of Magic as a character, at least for a while, where she goes back to being a, a little girl yeah. again. Yeah, I guess we should talk about that. Do you know how that all went down? Because she, I guess the whole Inferno the story. sword and like threw it back through the portal. I believe. And that closed it, right? Yeah, and that closed it, but then it left like her as just like a empty shell. Kind of like, I guess, the end of Ghostbusters where the demon dogs are just kind of statues. <laughs> yeah. And then yeah. they, uh, yeah. And then she breaks out of it and then she's like, like a little girl inside of there. Now, but is this really Ileana Rasputin or is this like a, like. No, yeah, it's really her. Yep. She okay. comes back as basically, uh, somehow it all gets, you know, time is a flat circle, just all gets sucked up and. Yeah. So how does she age again? Like, how does she jump up again? Well, <laughs> uh, well, first she died as, uh, basically <laughs> the, they were, they were really putting Colossus through the ringer in the early 90s there. Uh, I, think, he, I think I read they took her back and she was living with their parents in Russia again. This little baby, yes. or not baby, yes. she, was, she wasn't she was a baby. She was like the same age when she went into limbo, right? Like six, yeah, she was like six, seven, somewhere around there. So, yeah, she went back to live with the parents. Uh, meanwhile, Colossus, still on the X-Men, he finds out that his bro- older brother, Mikhail, who was a cosmonaut and they thought was dead, like, oh, he actually was alive. And he turns out he was a mutant and, like, he has powers to, like, you know, go to different dimensions, kind of like magic, I guess. Oh, and yeah. It's like actually in another dimension the whole time. And, uh, oh, he's also he's like crazy. <laughs> and, uh, so then he like tries to save the Morlocks, but seemingly kills himself. So he's like, oh shit, my brother was alive, but then he's dead again. That's pretty upsetting. Then like the Russian government murders his parents. <laughs> oh my God. 
So he has to take Ileana home with him to the X-Mansion, where she is very quickly the first victim of the legacy virus, which is a mutant, like a virus that only affects mutants, and she dies of the legacy virus. (laughs) God, what is happening? Yeah, he loses basically his entire family within the span of a couple months, and he, like, like, kind of like, I'm done with the X-Men, I'm going off with Magneto. (laughs) I've had it. Uh, and so, yeah, eventually she comes back. I forget how she comes back. Uh, it was more like the two, probably 2008 or so. Like, I want to say they brought her back. I'll guess that she, this re- Ileana wasn't the, like her real self was stuck in limbo somewhere. And like, this was a, I don't know. Yeah. Like, maybe. Like, who knows? It could be. Yeah. <laughs> I, I have no idea. I didn't read any. Any way they could work. There's so many ways they could work around it. Yeah. Clones. And who knows? Stinking Time clones. travel. <laughs> so all right uh that's uh Ileana Rasputin and magic and limbo and everything so there you go the exterminators yay all right so next week i i had yeah. a tough time picking what uh, i was going to do for next week because i i like to tie in the picks you know and you picked exterminators our buddy uh jonathan the duke one of our favorite uh fleas in the flea army he he wanted us to do an x-men book oh yeah and, uh, but uh so i was like exterminators x-men maybe that's too much back to back yeah should probably give it a little space yeah, there. Yeah, give it a little space to breathe. Maybe next month we'll we'll go the next month. So uh, then I was thinking, uh, there's I hate to admit this, but there's like five or six DC books I want to read. Oh wow! All right. I know it's very sad. That I came to this realization. <laughs> it's a new day. Because <laughs> I re- I have this memory of this DC book. It's kind of like all I I couldn't place it. Because, you know, I like All-Star Squadron or like Justice Society. I knew it was something like that, but I couldn't remember what book it was. And so I d- went deep into my memories, you know, like, what okay. was that book? And I found it. <laughs> Back that withered gray curtain of a yeah. brain. And I found it in my memory, and it was All-Star Squadron Annual Issue 3. Because I knew it wasn't a regular issue of All-Star Squadron, but it was in one of the annuals. And it was Issue 3. So I was going to have us read that, you know. But I was like, yeah, I don't know. Maybe we'll save that. <laughs> save that. I like to do something else for a special occasion. So then I was thinking, uh, how about Red Tornado? Oh, the old Red Tornado. Because we did uh, Blue uh, Blue Devil, Red Tornado. But I'm like, yeah, let's save Red Tornado. And I said, what about <laughs> Dead Man? You know? Okay. Like Dead Man. This is like a wheel. Where is it going to stop? Yeah, let's save Dead Man, too, you know? <laughs> then I stumbled upon some book I'd never heard of called Night Force. Written by Marv Wolfman, drawn by Gene Colan, the same guys who did the old uh, Team of Dracula. And I was like, wow, maybe this new universe book, Night Force. This sounds pretty good because the demons, you know, the tie-in with Inferno and the demons, this might be the way to go. But then I was like, you know what? Let's save it for Shocktober. (laughs) Night Force for Shocktober. So we're still looking for books. So then I saw some book called Gem, Son of Saturn. Like, what is this? (laughs) I never heard of this in my life. Did you ever hear of Jim, some of Saturn? No. no. I did. But we're not going to do that either. Instead. <laughs> oh, should I finally write this down now? <laughs> oh, yeah. You've been writing all these times. <laughs> so I gave up like the first one. <laughs> sorry. I didn't know that. But all right. So what we're actually going to do, Jack, this is it. This is the official pick. <laughs> the Doom Patrol, issue one from 1987. Now... I, I have heard of this. Yeah, I'm interested in this Doom Patrol. They had their own TV show recently, I guess. 
I hear tell that the X-Men basically ripped off the Doom Patrol. We'll get into that next week. We'll pick this up. But I, I was interested in the original Doom Patrol team, but they were only mm-hmm. around in the 60s. And uh, then yeah. they had three issues printed in the 70s, though, but they were reprints of their 60s adventures. And I was like, is that cheating? You know? Yeah, kind of. Yeah. I, mean, I think you've done it before, so it's not. Yeah, we did. Black Bolt and Medusa and all them. Oh, the Inhumans. Inhumans. Yeah. Yeah, we did it with them. But uh, with this, uh, the story is very like I looked at the books and they were very silver agey with how they were drawn and everything. So I'm like, all right, let's not do that. So they rebooted the Doom Patrol in the late 80s. And, of course, it got famous because of Grant Morrison. And we're sure as hell not reading Grant Morrison again. So (laughs) he was he was later on, like around issue 20 or something. So we're going to do issue one because issue one also discusses like what happened to the original team, I think, at the beginning. So we can talk about that original team and the new team. The Doom Patrol, issue one, 1987. I'm a little excited about this because I like to learn, you know? I like to learn. And I don't know nothing about the Doom Patrol. So, yeah, yeah, I know next to nothing. I mean, one or two characters. I know there's a robot. And uh, originally their leader was in a wheelchair, kind of like Professor Xavier. Mm. And there's a guy wrapped in bandages, and uh, there was a, a girl named Elasta Girl, I believe. But but like that was the old <laughs> team. That was the old team. Okay. The new team. I think the robot is still there, but I think everyone else is kind of new. So we'll figure it out. But all right, that's next week here on the Big Show. Uh, once again, uh, if you're watching us on YouTube, remember to like and subscribe. 83 subscribers. So at this current pace, we'll be able to be monetized by the year 2042. So if we can just hang in there. So that's it. And until next week, don't get any jank on you.